Hello everyone. Welcome to the episode 41 of Soul Lead Saturday. The guest we have today, Howard Friedman. He is a chief data scientist, health economist, writer and data science professor at Columbia University. So, let's just welcome him and hear more about his career journey. How did he find his area of interest and managing to lead it? So, thank you so much Friedman. Very happy to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, the pleasure is mine actually. So, moving towards our first question actually, when I came across your profile long back actually and I was very impressed like you know, uh, you handled multiple roles and responsibilities along your career journey. You started your career in the capital one and then you were researcher, writer, then statistician and health economist, chief data scientist and you are a data science professor as well like you are in the academics as well. So, what do you enjoy the most and why? So it's a really interesting question. Um I've been doing a lot of work in the public sector, private sector, academia and writing. Uh each one has things I really like and to be very honest, each one has some things I don't like. Uh, so what I try to do is actually pull from each one the elements I like and I see if I can have someone else pick up the elements I don't like. It doesn't always work out that way, but it lets me like stay focused on things that I excel in and I enjoy and and try to dish off to other people the things I don't and I can tell you more about that if you'd like but truly there's elements in each data I I'm sure that audience would love to hear that okay sure so um let me take with uh, the private sector work so sure. my private sector work um I love data analytics getting involved crunching the numbers and discussing that with whether it's business leaders or scientists um I don't like sales So I always would partner with people who were great at sales and loved it. Mm-hmm. So that partnership worked well. For for writing, I'm not a natural writer. I I have to work on it. Um and in fact the way I work on it is I make a first draft and then I iterate and then I iterate and I iterate. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the iteration, but I need good smart readers. Mm-hmm. And this is where my family plus my former students come in because mm-hmm. they're great. Mm-hmm. Uh so each one does a little bit of the work I hate and then I do the stuff I enjoy and it comes out fine. I don't like grading tests. I have a teaching assistant for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's great actually and thank you so much for sharing. Um and definitely that is something that you mentioned right practice makes the person perfect like you know uh, as you mentioned that you are not a natural writer but it is something that you always uh, learn. by doing it with the iterations as well as getting the feedback from the others that's right and and yeah. at this point i've got a, about 100 publications and seven or wow. eight books now so um you get there you just got to keep kind of figuring out what you do well yes. and then getting help for the things that you don't do so well yeah 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 very wise and thank you so much for sharing uh moving towards our question actually uh first question is along the line of uh, your statistician being a statistician so how much statistics knowledge is important being a data scientist well let me add the word being a good data scientist because yes. there's a lot of uh, people who can just run code if you're just taking someone's canned code and running code let's be honest mm-hmm. your job will not be useful automation will get rid of that job i think it's critical to understand statistics because that's what's underlying many of the principles that are involved not just in the algorithms but in the usage later so for me it's absolutely critical and 
when I look at what distinguishes uh, different groups, you know, people who do uh, a lot of the online MOOCs, and, and I do tons of online courses. I love them. Uh, rarely do they cover stats. The formal education, you know, the coding academies don't cover statistics well either, but the formal degrees normally cover it in a much more substantive way. So that's, I think, a distinction. I think it's critically important. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, when I got to know that you worked a lot in the data science applications and leadership in the private equity, would you like to share more insights with the audience about it? Yeah. So private equity is a fascinating place to work because in early stages, they know very little about a company. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of information and they do their best with modeling with missing data. Mm-hmm. Once they own a company, they get to see everything. And it allows you to really dig in and you have a choice. You can get hands-on touching the data yourself. You could be training teams who are doing the data science work, or you could focus at a higher level um, just as a user. But the beauty of, in particular, private equity is once they own a company, there's nothing hidden. You get to ask and see any data point you want. And so the other thing I love about it is with private equity, uh, when you make a recommendation, let's say for a decision-making engine, a new marketing tool, customer segmentation, site selection, Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking to people who are on the board. So you're not having a conversation with a middle manager who may not have budget. Mm -hmm. You're talking to the people who own the company. Mm -hmm. So once, when they're convinced and they say, let's move, you move lightning fast. Mm -hmm. Those are things I love about it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Actually, I'm really enjoying the talk. So uh, I would rather uh, love to hear more from you. Uh, so moving towards our next question is that about the domain. It is always a question actually a lot of students come across like when they are learning it in the university or the professionals who are juggling between their transformation into the career. So when it comes to selecting a domain in this field, actually, what advice would you like to give to those uh, people? My advice is go with your passion. Mm-hmm. Go with what you're genuinely interested in. Um, mm-hmm. I've worked in many fields. I've worked in finance. I worked in restaurants, life insurance, legal systems. Mm-hmm. But my heart is in health. That's what I'm most passionate about. And the truth is, I do better work. Why? Because I care more. I mean, I'll do my best work no matter mm-hmm. what. But I have deeper insight because I've spent decades doing that and I think that's really should be always be the thing for you or someone else. Maybe you're thrilled about telecom or, or doing something related to marketing, but go for the domain that gets you the most excited mm-hmm. because you'll do a better job. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's way, that's really important actually. And, uh, I'm good but there's another, there's, you know, there's another interesting connection to it. That's worth saying, which is the beauty of data science is your skills go across all industries. Yeah. You have to learn more domain-specific knowledge, but the skills translate so smoothly. And that's been true in my career, and I think it's going to be true in other data scientists' careers as well. Yeah, and I have seen actually a couple of data science leaders actually. Some of them love music and actually, you know, they uh, work with those kind of a problems like, you know, uh, voice recognition and music mm-hmm. recognition kind of uh, problem statements in the data science. Some of them like cooking and then they come up with, you know, uh, kind of examples which can relate into the kitchen things. 
and uh, they apply that into the data science so i feel like data science gives you an opportunity to mix both the things that what you like and you know you have the opportunity to explore that because everything is a data so it, it is but your last point is so critical because because data is underlying regardless of whether we're talking about to your point music or cooking or in the examples i gave whether you're talking about finance or health um your skill set should translate over you still need to learn some subject specific knowledge <laughs> but you should be able to translate over as for what domain should you focus on there's tons of domains mm-hmm. look for the ones that you get excited by yeah. and life will also come to you you're going to get certain job offers and you're not going to get others and that's what's going to also impact it mm, yep yep thank you so much for sharing and uh, moving towards our next question is about uh uh you have written actually applied statistics technical manuals and data driven books for a lay audience and have drafted two new books on data science so would you like to share more about those new books i'd be happy to so um you know i i do write for different audiences and it's a challenge when you're writing for a lay audience so i write a lot of work for technical audiences you know scientific peer review papers but i like targeting for different audiences. So the two books I'm, I have, I have a, a almost a final draft of a data science book that's targeted for middle middle school children. We're mm-hmm. talking 6th 7th grade. Wow. And it's exciting because I think uh you're already seeing people around that age who are playing with doing coding. Mm-hmm. I mean they have the skills. Um but it tries to explain the concepts in a way that they can understand. So that's one book. The other one is very much about uh data science for busy business professionals so it's your mba who may have to interact with data scientists or maybe maybe they just they're going to actually get a budget and they've got to manage it and they're going to hire some people so it gives them some basic tools to understand what is this subject of data science what do they need uh in order to be an effective either manager or or participant or even interacting with a data science team so two books very different audiences um also at very different stages uh the one for middle school children is pretty much done except for you know me tweaking around some language the other one i only i've only written a chapter but i'll work on it that's great actually you know because i always wonder because when i look for the books online it's like you know you find tons of books talking about machine learning python r deep learning and it's like very hard to choose like whenever it comes to the content i feel it should be more customized and the way you thought about your books actually you know thinking the audience first and then coming up with some content i think that is the great idea to look into any book actually uh, like you know when you come up with some new idea when writing a book so that's great But you've got a great point there which is um whether you're giving a speech a presentation or writing whenever you're communicating you have to ask who's the audience or yep. else you're going to do a horrendous presentation. Yep, yep. A horrible thing to do is have like whatever is your standard PowerPoint and then use that regardless of the audience. That's a bad bad presenter. Yep, yep. Thank you actually. And I love the idea that you know you focused on the uh middle age middle school people like kids and then uh, the next one was the busy professionals actually. Those are like kind of a typical audience I guess audience set. who uh, 
don't have actually i guess that kind of a content available because whatever you find it is more like a generic content mm-hmm. and people always struggle to find that kind of a customized thing yeah, tell- you're right you're right a lot of that material is either very very high level and yes yeah it's it's not useful or to your point it's python coding from machine learning which neither of those audiences really need at that point no no I really don't find that actually like you know fascinating when people come up with those books because uh, it's very hard from the books to understand unless until you do the programming and do the coding you don't understand it uh, by reading it so if you want to get an idea of particular business case or something like you know how the data science works it is lot more about customized content and uh, really uh, great that you know you come up with something that is more customized So, so to your point, though, about actually doing the coding, and I think that you're you're absolutely brilliant about that. When I teach uh-huh. machine learning classes, and I teach them in R and Python, um, I'll always get one or two students who sit in the back and they just watch the lectures. Yeah, they don't do any of the exercises, and they say, "Oh, I'm just this is how I learn." And I always tell them, "You're not learning a thing. You're just pretending." And yeah. like, what do you mean? I said, "Well, first of all, I've taught for over 20 years." and i know that any student who sits in a programming language based class and doesn't do any programming it's all going in one ear and out the other yeah that's true <laughs> yeah uh thank you so much and definitely you know uh, i feel students out there they will find it useful because uh, they might be going into the same phase and i have also uh, gone through that phase actually uh, when i was pursuing my masters uh maybe just because i had the prior work experience i was knowing that it is important for me to be you know uh, doing the practicals uh, rather than just listening uh, because unless until i struggle i get across the uh, errors and debug my code and find out something uh, it is not going to be fruitful at all so it's very important that you know you uh, struggle when you are learning and you challenge yourself so thank you so much and uh, moving towards our next question is around again uh, you have done the work lot more in the healthcare domain in the data science so when we think about data science in healthcare uh how do you look into it actually what does challenge you more in this field so as i mentioned um while i touch many fields health is where i've always been most passionate my my phd is actually biomedical engineering and mm-hmm. because of that um i look at a field where the technology really has advanced so much our ability to acquire data from data different data sources is so much more enhanced than it was 5 10 years ago mm-hmm. um the capacity of certain uh algorithms is so much better so you look at the image detection for mm-hmm. oncology tumor detection it's massively advanced it outperforms most kind of oncologists to try to identify tumors you look at other areas such as uh i've done a lot of work on predicting readmissions and predicting mortality and the quality of the modeling is so much better than it was 5 10 years ago the predictive ability is greater because we have richer data sets and better algorithms and so I, it's an exciting field i think it's going to get more and more improvements um but an area that i think you're going to see great applications even more is in things like oncology where Mm-hmm. biomarkers and other characteristics from genomics where you have huge data sets of genes will get combined with information about treatments to really map the best treatment for this specific patient 
And that's really what people have been talking about with personalized medicine for decades. Uh, we're making it there. It's, it was a mantra, you know, for decades that people talked about, you know, getting the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. We're much better at it. And it's very much a data science story. Wow. That's great. And I feel it is a lot more challenging as well. Uh, do you struggle, like, you know, getting the data at one place when it comes to the healthcare domain? You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you know, the access to the data is different. Different countries have different restrictions. For some countries, the data doesn't leave their shores. It's a legal requirement. Mm-hmm. For groups, um, you've got, of course, the patient privacy areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot more institutional hurdles that exist, and, and many of them need to be there. You, know, you need to protect patient privacy. But when I compare that to like analysis I've done for restaurant chains, I don't have to deal with those types of restrictions, right? You know, the, the barriers are far less in that or in, you know, in the banking industry when I was doing predictions of charge-off modeling. I didn't have the same levels of restrictions. So these are things that are, you know, part of the domain challenge. Yep. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, moving towards our next question is about any interesting project experience of data science would you like to share with the audience? Uh, so I have a lot of interesting ones. I'll, I'll describe one that is not specifically in health, which we just talked about. I'm going to take you over to one from the restaurant world. Mm-hmm. So I had a interesting client. They were a very, very large restaurant chain. They had a problem in that they had a whole set of unanticipated cannibalization. What that means is they opened up new restaurants and suddenly a lot of the older ones were losing revenue. Mm -hmm. Someone had built for them a predictive model that was specifically trying to estimate the revenue of new locations Mm -hmm. and, of course, the impact on the old locations. Mm -hmm. It was a black box model, Mm -hmm. and I had been given a description of the model. I read the description. I looked at the black box, mm-hmm. the inputs, the outputs, and I immediately said, they lied to you. They ripped you off. There's no way the description does what it claims it does. Yeah. I said, just give me the raw data. Mm-hmm. I will do a quick model. I took the model. I did nothing more than a random forest. That's mm-hmm. all I did. Mm-hmm. My little model, which I spent just a couple of hours cleaning the data and building it, outperformed the other model, that black box model, by about... 15%, 1.5 in terms of prediction accuracy. They had paid $400,000 for the black box model. I told them since I'd only worked on this for about an hour or two, instead of paying me $400,000 for a better model, mm-hmm. why don't you take me out to lunch? <sighs> I then convinced them we can do this even better. And this is where it became very important. I worked with their finance team to get other data, because to me, the data source is often the critical factor. The richer data set is often far, far more important than the sophistication of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Informative variables will beat fancy algorithm any day. Mm -hmm. So I worked with the finance team. We made an even better model, which they implemented. They had not had any unanticipated cannibalization to this day. Mm -hmm. And that's success. (laughs) Yeah. But it wasn't just about me. Uh The final model was working with their finance teams, their subject matter experts, and building something that really was robust that they could use going forward. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
yeah this is like a great achievement i feel because having the robust model is like a great achievement i feel in any business wow. model I, i i agree um and the other thing that strikes me you know this was a private equity client mm-hmm. um private equity firms own many many companies mm-hmm. so they were pleased and then you know as people think about businesses they introduced me to some of the other companies that they own mm-hmm. and how did a great job here um and he also saved us uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars that we ended up arguing with the old consulting firm on you might want to bring him in and that was a nice thing <laughs> wow that's great actually and uh, uh, really thankful to have you on the show uh moving towards our next question uh, it shows your leadership style and uh, definitely you are leading the students actually youth as well so what is your leadership style and any specific leader that you always follow and admire and why hmm. well i i had great managers and and advisors over the years so i did try to learn a lot from them one of the most important things i learned is um listen and and be humble so when i'm doing something i always want to understand from the subject matter experts mm-hmm. what do they know mm-hmm. um because it gives me hints about other data sources other variables for example one of the first big models i ever built was a fraud detection model for consumer finance mm-hmm. but i started not by even coming near the data i started by doing interviews with fraud investigators former police officers mm-hmm. and had them walk me through the big cases explaining to me what were they seeing what did this person do how did they get through our systems what are the hints that you would have seen earlier on if you had been looking at this case mm-hmm. it helped me identify new data sources new variables we were able to implement a model that was substantially better than any of the models out there mm-hmm. but it was all due to being humble enough to listen to people who have no analytics background who mm-hmm. had great insight and i think that's a lot of it so listening be humble and also respect the fact that it's the data sources and the richness of the data that's the most critical factor in predictive modeling and not whether you've used the latest and latest ai versus good old fashioned regression those are those are important but you're operating on the margin usually there in predictive modeling versus having a very very rich data set versus a very poor sparse data set okay so i think you highlighted a very valid point that you know uh, it's very important when it comes to learning it's a uh, lot more important that you listen and one more uh, important learning that you shown is that when you were working for that particular fraud uh, detection problem statement you actually went for finding out the real scenario uh before you are you know uh, build something in the modeling actually it is uh, i think that is kind of a best approach to at least understand first the system that you are going to work with and uh, then uh, come up with some insights because that would be more fruitful i guess useful uh, yeah i mean the reverse and i see this happen all the time people take whatever data they have around mm-hmm. build a model and then later learn that there's massive sample bias or they're missing critical things and they just produce garbage yes and they lose credibility mm-hmm. people you know, your first impression will last mm-hmm. if it's a positive great and if it's a negative that's a problem because people will always remember you as that person who built a useless model by not understanding the data or the problem at all 
and you don't want that reputation yeah so thank you so much and uh, i just feel like you know i just keep uh, continue and keep keep you asking the questions more and more uh, but i would like to uh, come towards the closure of this uh, show and i would like to ask the last question which is like a tips and advice to the students or the professionals who are looking to enter or transform their career in the data science or grow in this specific field well i would have to say that it's it's an exciting field mm-hmm. uh, it's a competitive field mm-hmm. and i think some people they look at these projections and they say oh there's all these jobs that are expected to happen and the answer is maybe they will maybe they won't mm-hmm. so what i would say is be passionate do yeah. the things that you enjoy um you can't be an expert at everything uh, yeah. these silly little unicorn diagrams of that you're an expert in seven different things at the same time no one is mm-hmm. what you really want to do is find areas that you really enjoy mm-hmm. excel in those and then don't have huge blank areas where you're just completely incompetent no some data visualization even if you're not an expert i'm not an expert in data visualization mm-hmm. you're going to have to know some basic programming in other languages you can't just say that well for me it's either python or nothing that that doesn't work mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. but also you know, recognize that there are areas which you will love go mm-hmm. after that and mm-hmm. also and this is a critical thing make yourself distinguished what i mean by that is mm-hmm. if your resume just talks about all the exciting work you've done on the titanic and iris data set mm-hmm. you're in trouble yeah. because that's just those are canned data sets go after real world problems you can grab the data that's the beauty of this being 2020 mhm show people that you can solve problems that are relevant for the real world that's critical yep yep yes and thank you so much it was really very wise advice anybody to have actually irrespective of uh, whichever area they want to get into or grow into uh, so thank you so much and i really appreciate all your time being on the show My pleasure. This was great. You're a fantastic interviewer. So thank you for uh, inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much and audience definitely you are going to enjoy this episode. He has lot more to share because he actually deals with the students. So I would encourage you to watch this episode and as I always say until we meet happy leading let's sit together. Stay safe. Bye for now.